1: Life Transformation Radio is all about our transformation. Here is where we tell the stories of why we're doing what we're doing, highlighting that transformational moment that changed our lives and how we use it to then transform others and elevate their lives as well. You can listen to us live right here on the Blog Talk Radio Network Tuesday through Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can go to www.blogtalkradio.com. Forward slash Life Transformation Radio and listen to the episode live. You can also join our Facebook group at Life Transformation Radio Community and never miss an episode by subscribing to Life Transformation Radio on your favorite podcast platform. Life Transformation Radio can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spricker, Spotify, TuneIn, Player FM, Radio Public, Overcast, Cast Box. Google Podcasts, Listen Notes, everywhere you listen to podcasts, subscribe to Life Transformation Radio. We're also available on Pandora and available on YouTube at Life Transformation Radio. On the show, my guests are entrepreneurs, speakers, business owners, coaches, podcasters, authors, amazing human beings having an impact in the world around them. And my guest today has done exactly that. If you have any questions, for any of the guests that I bring on the show during our live broadcast, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Tuesday through Friday, go ahead and give us a call at 657-383-1109. Again, the number is 657-383-1109. And with that, please help me welcome to the show, my guest for today, Lindley Baker. Lindley, welcome to Life Transformation Radio.
0: Thank you, Sean. It's great to be here.
1: I'm super excited to have you on the show. I've never talked to anybody on the show. As the profession of what you do, the message that you have, uh, there's been various forms of the message, but I think you tied together nicely. And as we get into the nuts and bolts and meat and potatoes or whatever you want to call it of the show, I think that, uh, we're gonna bring some awareness around a, I don't want to say obscure, but just a not so common career profession that definitely was not at my high school during Career Day. <laughs>
0: it wasn't at mine either.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: But when I was awesome. in school. My dad said, "If you want to work with math." And you want to work with practical math and you don't want to be discriminated against, be an actuary. And I had never heard of an actuary. And I mean, this was in the 1970s when the local paper had separate sections for men and women and the jobs wanted. So not being discriminated against was really an issue. So I started looking into it and it, I went to a college. Uh, the Wharton School had a program in it. so I went there and studied, and I became an actuary.
1: That's awesome. So what does an actuary actually do?
0: An actuary is what I call a mathematical engineer for insurance. So we get involved in all the nitty-gritty calculations, the design of insurance policies or pension plans or whatever area of insurance that we are in. A lot of people think it's similar to accounting, but the way I think of accounting is you learn a lot of rules and then you figure out what number goes in a box and then you add and subtract and maybe you get to multiply and divide if you're really lucky. Whereas as an actuary, you're <laughs> okay. going to be using high math, calculus, and it, there are 10 exams to become an actuary. The first exam is calculus, and then we go beyond there to actuarial specific math, looking at the time value of money, the probability of things happening, like getting into a car crash or, or getting a certain illness, and we bring all that together into our calculations. Wow.
1: Well, that's all happening behind the scenes. People don't even know that's a thing and it's happening behind the scenes.
0: That's right. That's right. So you might be watching TV and on the screen is flashing you know, $15 a month, $15 a month to get some kind of insurance. And, well, how does the mm-hmm. insurance company know that $15 a month will cover what they're promising? It's because of the calculations from their actuaries.
1: Huh. Interesting, interesting, all right. title of this episode is Reach All Your Life Dreams with Lindley Baker. After graduating with high honors from the Wharton School of Business, Lindley Baker pursued a successful actuarial career, which is applied mathematics, in insurance. She quit to raise her six children for 19 years in four countries. She earned a Master of Music Performance degree from Ball State University and also speaks four languages. Lily returned to her profession and in five years was promoted to full vice president. Lily shares that unconventional career paths are possible through her company, Linfluence. Her first book is her message. Don't be afraid to do what you really want to do. Reach all your life dreams. Her LinkedIn and Facebook links are right there in the show notes. Click on those. Send her a friend request. And then let her know that you listened to this episode of Life Transformation Radio. You can go to her website at LinFluence, L-I-N-L-U-E-N-C-E, LinFluence.pro. It's right there in the show notes. Go ahead and make sure you click on that and check out what she is up to. Lindley, the first question that I really, really want to ask is why? <laughs> why an actuary? Why do you do what you do?
0: Well, my why is kind of my company name Linfluence. I want to use my influence or Lindley's influence to make the world a better place. And that's always been my why since I was young. I love using math and and business to come up with a great solution for an insurance company. The actuaries have to know not just the, the mathematics, but they have to know all the laws and regulations. And you need to know accounting and finance and economics to make sure that you're Calculations are in the right environment, that they're going to be correct. The same as a civil engineer needs to know about gravity and the materials they're using for, for their bridge or whatever they're constructing. So I'd like being able to look at the big picture and also to dig deep into the calculations and create something of value. Uh, but for me, it's not just mathematics. I have three AMS. I like my mathematics I fulfilled in my actuarial career. I also love music. I, it said in my bio, I got a master of music performance degree and I've always loved music. I started piano lessons when I was four years old. Uh, we got them free from my grandmother, which was a wonderful experience to share that with her as I was growing up. And I was in my thirties and thinking, I, about what my biography, my, sorry, my obituary might say. And I thought, well, they might forget to write I loved music unless I do something really specific with it. So I decided I would get a degree in music. This is when I had six kids at home, but they were all in school. And so part time, I followed my dream and took three years to get a master's degree. And it was really freeing for my mind and my emotions to be able to work on something that I loved as a break from the intensity of raising my kids. And I think it made me a better mother because it, it just made me a happier and more energetic person. And.
1: Oh, I love that,
0: that. Yeah. So, and that third M is, is being a mother. I wanted to raise people that would be good citizens of the world of their country that would be, you know, intelligent and and love good things. And so, I I raised six children, and I'm I'm very proud of all of them too.
1: Very cool. Right on. Yeah, I I, I love how you can tie in all that, and you know, I I would have I would have never guessed that. Number one, that's a thing, and. And that, that love, right, translates into that career profession. What I find profound is that you were gone after coming back and within five you you were vice president. That is incredible career growth. Incredible. The industry had to have changed. <laughs> Since you left it nineteen nineteen years, right? I mean, it had you walk back in. You are like, oh man, this is way different than what I remember. Like, you know, they could have had new software, new procedures, new laws. I mean, there is a lot that could have happened in nineteen years.
0: Right, right. But I.
1: The, yeah.
0: There was there was so much that happened, and I I always knew I wanted to go back, and that's one reason I had my kids like closer together than I maybe. um would have otherwise. And I, but I, since I wanted to go back, I was thinking like, I don't know how that happens. I, I didn't have any role model for that, but I thought, well, if I keep current somehow, then maybe it will be possible. So there are really three aspects for being current. One is can you do the skills, the day-to-day skills of the job? And another is what is happening in the world around you as new laws come through or the economy changes. And then the third is, is just the, the theory behind it, your education that, that's, that's, uh, that you need to know to do your job. And I was able to keep current in two of them. I taught actuarial science in China and the U.S., I actually got to teach the very first actuarial science class in the People's Republic of China in the history of the world, because I happened to be living there and they were starting an insurance uh, sector. They didn't ever need insurance when they had the planned economy. And then as they were moving toward a market economy in the 90s, they started realizing they needed insurance. And if they need insurance, they have to have actuaries so I got hired to teach <laughs> that class and so through teaching that class and teaching some other classes in the U.S. I was able to keep up with the theory that I needed to know mm-hmm. and then also I, ca- I volunteered with the Society of Actuaries which is the international organization that provides the examinations and continuing education for actuaries and through volunteering with them, I was able to keep up with changes in the laws and that kind of general thing. So the thing I was missing was the day-to-day work. I had I wasn't able to keep up with that because I was choosing to do other things. So that came up in my job interview and we talked to my potential boss and we said, "Well, how long do you think it'll take you to catch up with that part?" And we guessed about 4 months and he decided to give me a chance and it actually took me less than 4 months, but it was it was great to have that that opportunity because most employers wouldn't talk to me. They wanted recent experience and you can't get recent experience if you're no one will hire you.
1: <laughs> right. Yep. I know that. That's like the speaker uh, um career. I coach a lot of speakers on booked on stages and things and it's a double edged sword. Event planners wanna hire you after they've seen a video of you speaking or they want to know what event you've spoken at. And you can't get video of you speaking unless you've spoken at an event. Right. But speakers are applying to events where they want video, but they don't have any. But they got to right. get booked to speak in order to get the video. So if you want video of me speaking, but I haven't actually been booked to speak, how do I get the video? I got to get booked.
0: Right. And so that's perhaps that's kind of how it is. Yeah. Perhaps they could do a volunteer speaking engagement to get started. Oh, but yeah. I was able to get this job because it was the, it was after the 2008 financial crisis when MetLife bought their international division from AIG after AIG went bankrupt. And so then MetLife needed actuaries that spoke Asian languages and European languages and English. <clears throat> and because I had lived in Japan and learned Japanese and lived in France and learned French, and I know English, then that was something that helped to open the door and get the conversation started.
1: God, so, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yep, um, I lived uh, I lived in England for a few years, and I picked up a couple foreign languages because we used to go there. Time and my grandparents were Polish, so I already spoke Polish. Cool, but uh, you know, I picked up some Spanish because we were. We were always going to Spain or Portugal, you know, um, you know I mean, I know they speak Portuguese, but uh, we were always going to like Italy, been to Italy many times, picked up some Italian there. And it came to the point where, you know, after about three years of going over there, uh, quite frequently that started being able to navigate my way around, you know, having a quick conversation with somebody like, where is this? How do I get here? How much is this? You know, um, I remember being in a couple stores and I would just ask them like, well, how much is that? And then they'd, you know, they'd tell me whatever. Try to think about it in my head a little bit, you know, <laughs> like, okay. But uh, it's amazing what you could pick up if you were immersed in the culture.
0: Yes. Yes. It's so much easier to learn the language if you're actually learning where you can have conversations with people.
1: Oh yeah. yeah, Absolutely. And I like how it was one of those, I wouldn't say a prerequisite, but it was, it was something that they were searching for. And so it even, it made you even more desirable than you probably already were in the profession. So that, that helped out.
0: Yes, it did. The The funny thing is that I just learned the languages and I took tests in, in French and Japanese because I wanted to force myself to learn the language so I could have friends and in the native mm-hmm. country. And it turned out that that worked, but it also helped me get a job when I got back. So it was it was a bonus. Right.
1: Very cool. I like that. We all go through transformative moments, and the time that you were away, I'm sure that the industry itself transformed. You, know, you mentioned the 2008 financial crisis, and everybody remembers 2008 very, very well. As we go through these transformative moments, we begin to change, we adapt to our surroundings, life is changing always. Can you? discuss or talk about a transformational moment that happened in your life that changed you and put you on the path to what you're doing today?
0: Sure. I was working for MetLife and I was uh, the mentor of a younger female actuary. And we were talking and she was thinking that she should only have one child because she was sure. If she had more than one child, it would ruin her career. And that's kind of the message that you get from society. It's reasonable. But I was sitting there saying, well, well, I had six kids, and, and that didn't ruin my career. And so after that moment, I have realized that I, that fear is in a lot of people. Fear of ruining their career from having the second kid or the third kid or taking a break for four months to climb Mount Everest or whatever it is they want to do. And I feel like people are sad that they aren't reaching all their dreams, they're reaching their career dream, but they really wanted to have the three kids. The Pew study of 2018 for, uh, on families found out that 79% of the people they interviewed thought that two or three children was the ideal family size and that the actual family size was 1.7 children. So that means wow. there's, there's some fulfillment that's missing. And I mean, I don't know why everyone has, has fewer kids, but I do know there's that gap. And so that made me think I need to tell people that it's not so limiting as society makes us think that if we can think more broadly about our goals or live our life in seasons like I did, um, but just try to figure it out to reach all your goals and then you'll be more satisfied. You'll be happier with your life. And so, so that moment led to me thinking about how do I get my message out? So I've written my book and now I'm trying to tell people about this message. I'm also starting um, consulting counseling so I can work with people in small groups to, to help them think through oh. their, their life and what am I missing and how can I maybe fit that in at some point?
1: Very cool. I like how you you've taken that and really expanded on it. Sounds like you just didn't rush into it and go, ah, I think I'll do this. This looks fun. Yeah. Let's just do this. Sounds like a little bit of thought that went into it.
0: Yes, yes. I, I've taken most of a year to write the book. I started with a uh, three-week class in how to write a book at my local community college, and I, I've even had to fight the demons of self-doubt. Like, um, oh, yeah. I've never written a book before. How, how will I know anyone be interested in it? And the, the thing that felt worst was I was my book is called Don't Be Afraid and like I'm afraid to write my book. That's don't be afraid. But I've I've worked through that and and my my book is done and I'm excited to
1: share it with the world. Heck yeah. Where can they find your book? Is it available on Amazon? Is it on an audio book? Where can people find your book?
0: The book is almost on Amazon. And it will be an ebook and a paperback book. And I've been working through the the setup for uh, pre sales this week mm. and had technical oh, cool. difficulties. So I'm hoping by by tonight I can get it fixed, and maybe by Sunday it's going to be available. So I'm sorry it's not available today.
1: Oh, that's okay. But I'm sure it's an amazing book. And the title is the same as your message, which is don't be afraid to do what you really want to do, reach all your life dreams. I think that's it's an amazing message because oh, so many people feel like they're held back. They'd rather blame society. They'd rather blame the government. They'd rather blame their circumstances and say, nobody wants to be born into this moment, this struggle, this you know, whatever, um so I I I like that it's a great message by the way. Because most people are paralyzed by fear and judgment by others and they don't reach right. all their dreams. They quit when they're mostly to the finish line. That's what I've noticed. They're mostly man, people are so close. They're like they oh they're so close and then they give up, right? Right. Because of whatever, right?
0: Yeah, I, I have a people whole chapter. Just go all in. Like, yeah, I have a chapter don't called, called
1: Abandon-
0: "Bankrupt," right? Yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, I have a whole chapter called "Abandon Fear," and I uh, talk about like Michael Jordan. People uh, interviewed him about like how, how were you afraid on on the basketball court, and he said, "I never even thought about it." he said, if I was thinking about fear, that would have distracted him from being able to shoot as well. He just focused. Mm-hmm. On and yep, he
1: just focused on what he had to get done. Right. Yep. And
0: then I talked to a lady who was just leaving her work. She was a physician assistant. She's having her second child and she's saying, I want to take a break. I want to be with my my two little girls. And and I asked her like, why aren't you afraid to quit your job? And he, she said, well, I am afraid, but my confidence in my choice is bigger than my fear. Mm-hmm. And so she's figured out, well, you know, she's made a good plan and she's decided about, and you have to think about these things and you know, weigh the pros and cons. Um, I think the biggest thing about fear is that it feels like a cloud. And you're like, "Oh okay. no, it's over my whole life or or I don't understand it." And then if you can bring it, you know, down into liquid instead of having it just be a cloud and by saying, "Well, what's the worst that can happen?" And and maybe it's really bad and you still don't want to do it, but usually it's not. Once you start thinking about the details of what the possible outcomes are, then oftentimes it can get less scary and it's the power of our, our minds that can help us. But if we just stay in the mode of, Oh, it's this big cloud. This is all scary. Then, then it's often harder to get past your fear.
1: Oh yeah. I'm just thinking about all the times that there's gotta be a moment. I know there is, there has to be a moment that I could have, Said Yes, but I didn't and I live my life right now by saying yes and figuring it out Like I I have like I cannot sit here and be like, I don't I don't know Let me write a pro and con statement, you know, let me let me let me weigh the uh, let me like I I could just I don't know. I just feel it I feel like when these moments are coming. I'm like, oh, yeah, that probably won't work out well like, that's probably not a good idea. I'm just, I'm really in tune with myself and what I'm thinking and feeling and believing at that moment. Because every time I've ever been like, let me think about it. I will find something wrong with it and not do it. What I've <laughs> noticed is that when I say yes, and then I figure it out, and the figuring it out process is like, do you want to do this? Yes. What's involved? X, Y, Z. Hell right. no. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, right. no way. But at least I was open to it. And as you train your body to be more open, and the more that you're more open, the more opportunities will come your way. I'm not saying become the negative, like, yes man of a company, right? Whatever the boss says, like, oh, yes, sir. Oh, yes, sir. Like, I know a lot of people that are like that. They're yes men. They will, whatever the boss says, yep, 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 do it. Yep, we're doing that. Boss said it. We're doing it. Let's go. Yeah, but have you ever considered, is this a good situation, bad situation? Is this uh, in the military? Is this a good order, bad order, right? And right. we're trained that certain orders you probably shouldn't follow because it goes against you know whatever. It's illegal or uh, it goes against good good order and discipline. Uh, morality, you know, whatever. So as I'm listening to you, I'm like, man, she's so right. She's so right. Like how many times I wonder, have I contemplated and just, and just thought about the fear and then lost an opportunity that I know probably would have been the jumping off point, that hockey stick moment where like, life just becomes so amazing, you know, more than there already is. Whether it be, you know, a $20,000 deal, a $50,000 deal, a $100,000 deal, or maybe a country that somebody wanted me to go to or if for whatever reason. But as you're talking about, Michael Jordan is on the court. He goes, no, I'm not thinking about fear. I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not, a, I'm sure you, like, might have been, like, well, yeah, I mean, of course, everybody's afraid. Like, man, I hope I don't suck tonight. You know what I mean? But yeah. but the confidence of it all, right? It's, right. Uh, I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to accept that it's probably there, but I'm not going to put my energy in it. Because where focus goes, energy flows. If you focus on being afraid, energy will make you afraid. Right. That's what I got out right. of that.
0: Cause he still knew that there's a probability that he would miss, but he just wasn't thinking about that part. He was just focusing everything on getting the ball in the basket.
1: Yep. Yeah. There's yeah. a great video by Michael Jordan. And he talks about, you know, X amount of times. I was trusted to make the final shot and missed. X amount of times. I was, uh, on the path to success and failed. X amount of times I was given an opportunity and missed it or whatever, right? Yeah. And he goes, I, I have failed so that I could be successful or so, something along those lines, right? It's a very, uh-huh. very powerful episode. And yeah. it's like a bunch of stats. Like I've done this, I've done this, something. And it's like, you know, I. I'm successful because I have failed, or something like that. And I was like, oh, "Yes, yes, yes." There's so much learning in that failure. There's exactly. so much learning in that moment. And so, with with what you, your life has become, can't imagine not doing or creating or being a part of Linfluence, where you say. I was afraid i stepped away but here's what i've accomplished in the time that i was in the game i mean you 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 stopped playing the game for 19 years i can't i don't know i mean i don't really know you but i can't imagine you're up late at night googling like your career field and staying up to date with the laws and you know, you're busy raising family. Maybe every once in a while, you're like, oh, let me look, let me just pay attention to what the industry is doing. You're like, oh, it's interesting. Okay, I got the news. And then you move on to like lunch <laughs> or diaper change <laughs> or something, right? So right.
0: When I, when I got back, I'm, I'm, though, I had a really hard yeah. time with the transition in like the technological area, that day-to-day work. Sometimes I felt like I can't ask anyone that. That's a stupid question. And, you know, I'm highly educated and I should know, and I'm sitting in my cube and I'm saying, I don't know this. I need to ask. That's a stupid question. Like I'm embarrassed to ask a stupid question. And then I said, if I don't know the answer to this question, I can't do my job. Oh no. I need Man. to ask this question. So after that conversation, I set a rule for myself that I can ask stupid questions, but I can only ask the same stupid question once. And then I was able to live with huh. myself. And so I'd make my list of questions and I'm thinking like, I mean, it's even some of my kids that have been to college more recently than I have would know the answer to some of these technical things. And, um, and I just didn't. And so I have a chapter in my book called stupid questions. And actually Michael Jordan's in there too. He, he says he asked stupid questions about baseball when he was transitioning to baseball and it's yeah. okay to ask stupid questions. And, but we feel like, if, you know, by even just calling them that, you know, we, we feel like they're not uh, allowed to be asked. Like we need to save face. We can't ask that. But because I asked those stupid questions, I was able to ramp up in my ability to do my daily work um, a lot more quickly.
1: Oh, very cool. Well, that leads me to my next question. How do you elevate the world around you? Do you, you advocate, I, I love it. Uh, stupid questions, right? Like, was that no stupid questions or what? you know, is that what you call it? No stupid questions.
0: Well, I just call it
1: stupid questions and how I dealt with it. Stupid questions, okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they always say, like, the the only stupid question is the question never asked. I'm like, I don't know, man. You ask a six-year-old, to ask you some questions. They got some whoppers, man.
0: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but I felt like if I had I, I if love I a question and I forgot the answer and I had to ask it again, that would be wasting the time of the person I was asking. Well, right. and so I couldn't right. do that part. But right. the, how I look to others is I try to help everybody think about all their, th- th- all their dreams. And I mean, I don't mean they're going to have 20 dreams. This is going to be like your big dreams. Like my dreams were motherhood and mathematics and music. And I try to help them think that they don't have to just choose one. And if they're yeah. they're busy in one, but they are interested in something else, then they start fulfilling that dream in some way. Maybe for 10 years you're only just thinking about it, planning what that might be at some point. But even that much participation in your dream helps you mentally, helps you be happier. Like okay, when my youngest goes to college, I am planning on setting up my own business or whatever their dream is. And so they're preparing for it. And that's so much better than just doing their one dream until some point and then starting to think about their dream when maybe they're, they're freed up or, or forgetting or just assuming it's too late to try it at all. So.
1: Right. That's I true.
0: So so once you've decided your two or three, four big dreams, you need to set up an antenna in your head for each one. And so then when an opportunity comes that might fit into one of your dreams, then you can jump on it. Like when I moved to China with my family and I wasn't planning on doing any actuarial work and I found out there was this opportunity to teach the Shanghai University of Finance and Economics, I jumped on it because I thought this is great. This is a way I can keep myself current and I can contribute to the education of these upcoming actuaries. And I was excited about it. I'd love to do it. And so if I had been just focused on my current dream, motherhood then, then I could have missed that opportunity.
1: Mm. Wow. Yeah, I, man, when I became a parent and I was still in the military, I'm like, man, I'm going to miss stuff. And I was, I was deployed. I was gone. There's like birthdays and Christmases and everything else that you know, I missed. I missed Christmas one time and kids were devastated. Yeah. They were just, I got to talk to them on the phone, but man, they were devastated. And I was like, it's just something I have to accept because I'm in the military and like, it sucks. But forever. See what I learned. And I guess you could tie this kind of into being afraid, right? A lot of the people in the military are afraid to have kids because they know they're gone a lot. Yeah. But, I, but, but the military isn't forever though. The kids are forever. I mean, you would hope, right? Yeah. But that, that, career, though, I mean, you're going to retire at some point, and luckily the military is only 20 years, and then you're retired. So I wouldn't be afraid to have kids, and I never was. It was just, I knew. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm sure, I, I know what's going to happen. There's going to be these moments, like Christmas, where I'm going to have to be gone. There's going to be times where we got to do things that we don't really want to do, but you know, this is what's expected of me. So it's it's kind of a balancing act between the parenting and the military. And but my kids are super excited that I'm retiring now. Like they're probably like, when when are you done? When? Let's go. We're done. You know, I'm gonna be home all the time now. <laughs> you know,
0: and yeah, they're thanks. gonna get
1: sick of me. But like, hey, can you go back in the military? <laughs> you know, like I know I know that I'm gonna, I'm going to enjoy being, um, you know, home and. And doing all that, but which is also scary in itself because I've only known this for 20 years. And I've built businesses, and I've done things like this, like podcasting, and like, I've done other things, you know. Uh, yeah. But I mean, this has been a bulk of the time, and this is all that they've known, too. They've lived on military bases pretty much their whole life. This is all they know as well. They just don't realize that it's going to catch up with them, and they're going to have to do things a little bit different. You know, we're pretty safe here at a military base. You get off the base, you know, like you got to remember to lock that door or you got to remember to, you know, whatever you got to do. So I like, I, I, I'm just so in tune with, with what you're saying. And, and I can see the similarities in my personal life as well. For people who are listening, who are maybe like, what, mathematics like like i'm pretty good at that but what do you do again like just give them a message that the listeners can take away from this you know you pursued a career that you love here's my takeaway you pursued a career that you love decided that motherhood is time 19 years later you go back into the profession within five years, you're full vice president. Like to me, that's amazing career progression in a short amount of time for being gone as long as you were. So for the people listening, give them a message. What can they take away from your story and your experiences?
0: They can take away what really helped me get promoted once I got back to work. So it was only seven months after my initial return that I was promoted to manager. And then in four years, I was an assistant vice president, and I was only that for seven months, and then I was a full vice president. So obviously, those are shorter timelines than are normal. And so it was because of some skills I learned while I was on my work break, I'll put that in quotes um because you know raising six kids is a lot of work but I learned soft skills I learned leadership I learned organization you have to think about the big picture when when we lived in China we had to bring everything that we couldn't buy locally with us in August and we were there for the school year so if we were going to have a, a Cub Scout meeting in February and we wanted to have brownies for refreshments then that brownie mix would have to be in our suitcase in August. So mm. all these skills about thinking ahead and thinking about organizing all the children, you know, their their education, their their spiritual growth, their inter- emotional growth, their health, I mean all those things is really complicated. And if you are uh, it, it's not so different from being the leader of a team at work and being you know, a compassionate leader, concerned about their whole life and not just you know, what are you doing for me today and trying to nurture them and help them reach their best self because that's what mothers do with their kids. They try to help them become their best self. Uh, Google did studies on what makes people successful in leadership and what makes people successful in teams and it turned out it's these soft skills, nurturing, organization, leadership. It's not your core skill that gets, that gets you the job. And so because I had all oh. those experiences, I had time to organize things in the schools, in the churches, in the community. It helped me deal with all sorts of people. And that was a That was what I needed to be able to be a leader. And so once they saw that I could do it, then, then I was able to get promoted.
1: Oh, nice. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Well, Lindley, this has absolutely been amazing. I loved getting to know you a lot more and I just have one final question and it's, it's a question that I'm like, do I, do I inquire? It's kind of stereotypical about mathematics and movies uh do you have a favorite mathematical movie? Um I don't. Sorry. <laughs> right on. I was just thinking about like, you know, um what's that Matt Damon movie where he does all the math problems on the board and all that stuff, right? Uh yeah. there's a movie called Gifted, which was inspired by true events. The movie Gifted, uh with McKenna Grace, who is a young, young child and the mom. Uh, she passed away doing – uh forgot what, she, forgot what she was doing. I don't know if she had – she was in the hospital. I don't know if it was a mental institute or whatever. But um, she was young, six, seven, eight years old or whatever, and was just a whiz at, like, all these math problems and whatever and had to solve, like, these crazy math equations, you know. And it's just a very amazing, amazing movie. I. I was always the kid that tried to use a calculator – and got yelled at because you're not always gonna have a calculator in your pocket in like yeah. fifth grade. And now <laughs> I look and I can just Google a math problem like it's there, right? Um, yep. Yeah, I like there's a there's a lot of great um, great movies about mathematics. And I was kind of before the show just kind of researching some of the ones. Um, I think it's super cool what you do. I've never heard of anybody that does this. I didn't even know it was a thing. Thank so, you. I just want to thank you for the, for the honor of telling your story, uh, allowing uh, the listeners to hear your story, and for me to inquire about like what actually is that, and to learn something. I learned so much today, and now I really want to watch some, some mathematical movies and like really know like about applied mathematics and insurance. Like I, I don't know, I'm I'm just an inquisitive person. I'm very very curious. And yeah. uh, I'm not satisfied until I know stuff. <laughs>
0: like, yeah, well, you could try The Imagination Game or A Beautiful Mind. So those are both movies about mathematicians
1: that I like. Uh, okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll have to, I, I've watched A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe. Very cool. I haven't heard of the first one. Uh, very cool. Yeah, but again, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I learned a lot. Uh, I'm totally excited now. I know uh, when we met the first time, I was like, I don't know, <laughs> like I don't. Know. But like, it's so relevant, though. You know, it, I guess it doesn't matter like what career path so much as to how did you do it, right? And what was the moment? What was those? Because everybody goes through transformational moments, no matter what career you're in. But I just think it's so cool that, and, and in this moment, I get to learn something that you know, I've never even heard of, I didn't know it was a thing. Um, so yeah, I just want to thank you for your time and, and everything that you shared with us today.
0: Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here.
1: All right. Where do you want the listeners to find you? Where is the best place for them to go?
0: At my website at Linfluence.pro.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you again for your time, and I wish you the best for the rest of 2021.
0: You too. Thanks, John.
1: Life Transformation Radio listeners, an amazing guest impacting the world around her. If any of our conversation with Lily Baker today resonated with you, please reach out to her. Learn more about what she's doing, what her career path looks like what she does in her profession, and then send her a friend request on LinkedIn, on Facebook, right there in the show notes. Go learn more about Lindley Baker at Linfluence. If you want to reach all of your life dreams, she is the one to talk to. With that, I close the show by saying live your brand. Find opportunities every day to live out the core values that you hold deep in your heart, and I call that living your brand. So until next next time, live an amazing life.